God can and how God can give him your words and his words to your words. God, would we learn uh, deeper things about you, God, that we would be spurred on to righteousness, God, that we would be spurred on to a greater deeper love of you. God, that you would teach Andrew as you do teach uh, those who sit underneath his teaching this morning, God. Just Amen. I need a microphone. There's one right there on the table. I didn't put mine on, so this is the first. Why did he do that? 
Has that ever, like, popped into your mind? Like, oh, yeah, Jesus ascended to heaven. Why did you leave? Why did you stay? You rose from the dead. Hang out in Jerusalem. Tell everybody, hey, I won. That type of thing. Why leave? I want you to understand, like, emotionally, from the perspective of the disciples, how difficult that must have been. As a matter of fact, one of the disciples describes the ascension as the day that Jesus was taken from us. So the ascension is kind of confusing at one level. The ascension being the time when Jesus got taken up in a cloud and he disappeared and now he's up in heaven. Um, that is a pretty traumatic event in and of itself, if you think about it. Think about the 40-day the, the span or the month that the disciples had. Jesus walks through or, or rides through uh, Jerusalem on the, the donkey or whatever. Everybody's saying he's the Messiah. Every, you know, you're a disciple. You're like, man, it's about to pop off. Things are going to go great. By the way, for those of you abundantly challenged, pop off means that something amazing is about to happen. Okay, Rachel, I got you. Uh, something crazy is going to happen. Yes. And then Jesus starts crying and talking about how the temple is going to be destroyed. Downer. Then he goes into the temple and clears it out. Downer. But then he says to you, now is the time for swords. Upper. Because you're like, yes, they're going to take over the Roman military. Excellent. So Peter takes one of the swords and chops the guy's hair off. And Peter's like, ah, Jesus, huh? Jesus is like, Peter! You live by the sword, you're dying by the sword. Where did you get the idea? To chop somebody's head off, man. I don't know. I'm not going to go there. So then the Romans arrest Jesus. Downer. Very downer. It says that Peter and John like fought over to see what would happen. Maybe God's going to miraculously save him. God does not. Downer. Jesus dies on the cross. Very downer. One of your good friends, Judas, hangs himself. Downer. Horrible. And then a couple days later, the girls start talking about how um, Jesus rose from the dead. Whoa. Upper. Upper. Big upper. But you're kind of like, nah, too good to be true. So you make yourself go down. Some of y'all like that. You hear good music. Like, eh. No. So they run to the tomb. Tomb's empty. It says Peter, Peter walked away marveling. He had this in the Bible study on Wednesday. He marveled. He, we talked about this. Nobody said praise God when they saw the empty tomb. They were confused. And then they see the risen Christ. What's that? Upper. Very big upper. Jesus is alive. Great. And he's walking with you and teaching you about the kingdom of God. Right? That's an upper. Now you're like, he's going to live forever. Nothing else in the world will ever get me down. And then Acts chapter 1 happens. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The entire time that they were with Jesus, even after he died and rose again, they were still extremely nationalistic. You guys know what nationalism is, that you're primarily concerned with your country, what's going on with your people, and you want your country to rule the world. They're still thinking very nationalistic. Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Like you took care of our sins on the cross, now you rose from the dead. Excellent. Now are you going to clear out these Romans and make us the kingdom that we were supposed to be in all those prophecies? They're still thinking very nationalistically. 
Now look what Jesus does. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you're like, okay, good. And then this happens. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, what? He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. What's that? Downer! You're leaving! What do you mean? Where are you going? Why are you leaving? You ever thought of that? Like, oh wow, this is a really glorious moment. At the same time, the guy that you've been following, the horrible month that you had, everything seems good. He's going to restore the kingdom. You have no clue that he's going to leave you. And then he's gone. That hurts. Why did Jesus leave? He left us. He was taken from us. Here, here's a principle about Jesus. If he ever does something to hurt you, it's because he loves you. Okay? If he ever does something to hurt you, it's because he loves you. He left them. Because he loved them. By the way, look in the prayer in John 17. Jesus said, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. So Jesus hurt himself, in a sense, by leaving too. But he left him. Now we've got to deal with this horrible problem. Why did Jesus leave us? And by the way, in leaving the disciples, he left you too. Because you're one of his disciples. I mean, think about it. Haven't you ever read your, your Bible and thought, I just wish Jesus was here? You ever been like super lonely in your room? I used to do this when I was a kid. Not as a kid, I still do. <laughs> I used to be praying. I'd be like, Jesus, if you would just materialize for 14 seconds, give me a hug, and then go back, that would be really awesome. I'm so lonely. If you would just... Well, if he hurts you, it's because he loves you. He didn't materialize in my room because he loved me. If you've ever prayed that prayer and been frustrated with God that he never answered that prayer, I assure you it's because he loved you. Mm -hmm. But we still have to deal with the problem. By the way, go to Luke chapter 24 real quick, because um, Luke chapter 24, this is a really important passage. I don't know why, because the guy that wrote Acts also wrote Luke, so I don't know why he didn't put this detail in there. I felt like it's important. He and I are going to have that discussion when we meet. Maddie Mac, you can correct me on my Harry scene later. All right. Look at verse 50. This is Luke's account of the ascension. Now, when you, when you think about um, Jesus leaving us, uh, what do you think about? Now, I don't know if you guys watched the AD series, okay? Most of you did. We'll probably have to do another marathon. It had the most amazing ascension scene of all time, okay? Jesus is walking in, and then these giant angels show up, the guy standing on the cloud, and then Jesus, like, walks in the cloud, and the angel's kind of like, yes, sir, sergeant, sir, because Jesus is the, the captain of the Lord's host, you know? So he's, uh, and I was like, yes! Worship that guy. Not the guy on the TV, but the guy 
we talked about that in the radio show. I was like, wow, wow, this is amazing. And Jesus goes up in all this glory. I was like, yes. Look at what Luke says. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Look at verse 51. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. You know, Jesus left blessing us. That's how he left. He's like, now I'm walking with you guys for three and a half years. I'm sending you on this mission to go be my witnesses. I'm going out in all this glory, but what I want you to remember is that I left blessing you. Don't you remember? What did I say last week? God told our first parents, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. But what did he say before he did that? He blessed them. God blessed them and said. So before Jesus sends us on a new mission, he lifts his hands and he blesses us. And what does that sound? While he was blessing them, he was leaving. The Greek is like, he's continuously blessing them as he's going along. Like yelling from 30,000 feet in the air, be blessed! That's Jesus. He didn't want to leave. All right, let's go back. Acts chapter 1. Why did he leave? It was necessary that he left, by the way. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7. Here's reason number one why Jesus left. Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the... By the way, this is... I don't know if anybody remembers this like a year or two ago. This is one of our uh, memory verses, <coughs> Kyle. So we should all be able to say this from memory. I forgot it. I saw the night visions and behold, let's all read it at the same time. One, two, three. I saw the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory in the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, listen to me. Think about this. Jesus leaves the Father to come down here with you. He's, he's always leaving. In order to get you, he's got to leave his dad. So he leaves the Father. Okay, and you see all those times when Jesus would wake up in the middle of the night to go pray, like, man, Jesus is so spiritual. Wrong. He just wanted to be with the Father. Can you imagine? That's good company. Me and you? Okay. He was spiritual because he was hanging out with us, not waking up early to go be with his Father. <laughs> okay, so think about this. Jesus ascends to heaven and Daniel shows us what happened after Jesus like that last cloud took him out of vision. When the last cloud took Jesus out of vision, Daniel shows us what happened. Look, it says that he was presented before him. Think about that. What does that mean? That Jesus goes and he goes into the courts of heaven and he gets presented by God to God the Father. By the way, this shows that the Father and Son are separate persons. You see this? Because he is presented to the Father. Okay. Who presented Jesus to the Father? You ever thought about that? I have speculations. In Daniel, the courts of heaven are filled with all these mighty, powerful angels. Okay? 
And I think what happened was that Jesus was always their captain. Read the Old Testament. The captain of the Lord's host was the Lord himself. And so these angels receive Jesus and they say, Captain, you're back. We had no idea what you were doing down there. No idea why you were allowing yourself to be treated that way. But now you're back. Can we walk you to the throne of the Father so that you can get your just desserts? So they walk Jesus to the Father and they present him and they say, He's your son, he's back. And what happens to the Father? What does the Father do? To him was given dominion. Who gave him that dominion? The Father. You know, in Revelation, there's this scroll, and the scroll is handed over to the Lamb, and the Lamb is able to open it, okay? This is the title deed to the universe. This is God the Father saying to the Son, it's all yours, man. How about you run this thing? Run this thing called the universe. It's yours. You have the authority now. Think about that. Look how low Jesus went. We talked about this in Good Friday when he says, I'm a worm and not a man. Right? He, you know, the, 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 the word for worm in Psalm 22 is also interpreted as, uh, or translated as maggot. Okay? So Jesus went from God to man to maggot. Low. And then, he gets, he gets resurrected, gets exalted, and now he is going before the throne, and the Father makes sure that the Son inherits all this stuff. Do you remember... In the Great Commission, what did Jesus say? All authority what? In heaven and earth has been given to me. He was speaking as if he was seeing this situation. Because he knew that in about 20 minutes he was going to be taken from them and receiving this. Okay? So he was looking at this moment. He's like, man, this moment is so sure that I'm going to tell you guys right now that this is what's happening. So Jesus had to go up there to be exalted. Here's a principle. That sounds very provocative. Resurrection is not enough for Jesus. He must be exalted. This is very, very important. It's not enough that Jesus is resurrected. He went too low just to be resurrected. He had to be exalted. It is only right that Jesus gets exalted. Isn't that true? Yeah. I mean, it, let me ask you a question. What's more important to you? That Jesus gets exalted above all the heavens or that he can hug you when you're going through a bad time. Sex is an honest man. Sex has a hug. I want the hug. <laughs> Listen, it was it's more important than Jesus get exalted to God the Father than you get the hug from Jesus. Is that more important to you? When you think about how low Jesus went, it is necessary that he is publicly exalted by God the Father. That's necessary. So he had to be exalted. He had to leave and go higher and higher and higher beyond everything so that he could be exalted publicly by God the Father because he was publicly humiliated. Okay, so point number two. Look at this. Look at how the apostles preached the gospel in Acts chapter 2. Look at this. 
This is Acts chapter 2, verse 3. Being therefore what? Exalted. Good. At the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, so that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool, or your footstool. Jesus, the way these guys preach the gospel, this is Acts chapter 2. This is the first public preaching of the gospel, by the way, included the ascension as an essential point of their gospel message. Jesus going up and receiving that kingdom in the courts of heaven, look, it says exalted at the right hand. That happened at the ascension. That was part of their gospel message. Is it part of yours? Now, I'm not getting all crazy. I'm not saying you, you're not really preaching the gospel unless you talk about the ascension. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, look how important that event was to the early church. And obviously, if he was ascended, it necessitates that he was resurrected, right? But here you clearly see, this is so important that it was in the first gospel presentation. Gospel simply means good news. And listen... It is the best news of all time that the man at the helm of the universe is Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what this world would be if the person at the helm of the universe was the devil? Like, there's some people that believe the devil controls the world. There's people that believe that. The Ascension says, no, that's not true. Jesus is running the world. Jesus has the title deed to the planet. It's Jesus' planet. It's Jesus' world. Lewiston belongs to Jesus. You look at Lewis and you go, yeah, I just, I just got a, you know, a couple days ago, somebody else died, Aaron overdose. I was at the park. I was talking to, you know, this young guy, 15, 16 years old. He just went to his cousin's funeral, Aaron overdose. He said, how do you stay positive? Because Jesus ascended to heaven. And when he ascended to heaven, God gave him the title deed of the world. Everything is going to be okay. Now look, look at this, Ephesians 2.20. When Paul is talking about the awesomeness, look at this. <clears throat> His great might that he worked when he raised Christ from the dead. What's that? Resurrection. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What's that? The ascension. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is, age, that is named, not only this age, but the age to come. So when Jesus, man, I want to see the replay of that video. When Jesus went to the Father, not only did he receive all the nations, but somehow God the Father made it known publicly there, your name, Jesus, is above every name. Now and forever, the name of Jesus is the highest name ever in the history of names ever. I was talking to a Jehovah Witness today. Well, she was a Jehovah Witness. She's studying with Jehovah Witnesses. And they're, they're trying to tell her that Jesus is a created being. He's just some created person. She'll say, why are you guys always arguing about theology? Listen to me. If they are right, what they're saying is God the Father is commanding the world to commit idolatry. Because what they're saying is God the Father gave a created being a name that is above every other name. Does that make sense to you? A created being that has a name above all names? No, 
The only person that can have a name above all names is God himself. So when God in that courtroom of heaven says, not only do you have the title deeds of the universe, your name is also going to be primo name. And look, it's just far above every other name. He's saying, I am affirming that you are God of very God, as our father said in the creeds. Because he went so low that God the Father himself wanted to be known that Jesus Christ is God with a capital G. So, why is the ascension necessary? One, he has to be raised because he went so low. It is necessary. Number two, he has to fulfill prophecy. Remember we talked about this during the uh, triumphal entry, right? And they were confused because they said, well, the Messiah is going to come on a donkey. And the other people say, no, it's the Messiah is coming on the clouds. Which is it? Well, he did fulfill prophecy when he rode it on the donkey, didn't he? Yeah. But he also had to fulfill prophecy in Daniel 7. He had to ride in on the clouds. He had to fulfill the prophecy. Jesus, when he was going to the cross, one of the things he said to Peter in the garden, when Peter was fighting the whole thing, he said, Peter, the word has to be fulfilled. I have to go to the cross. Well, it's the same thing. Jesus, why are you leaving us? Well, it was prophesied. And he had to go. Number three. He has to run the universe. Somebody has to run the universe. God the Father doesn't want the job anymore. He wants to give it to the Son. I'm speaking kind of funny, Matt's laughing at me. But think about this. God the Father wants Jesus to run the universe. You see this in the world, right? Where a father is running a business. And he's running a business. And he shows his son, this is how you do it. Here are the ropes. Here are the ins and outs. Because what? One of these days... I'm going to hand it over to you. That's what happened. Jesus Christ became a human being, and he goes, and then the God the Father gives him the universe. That's what it means, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He doesn't just have authority on the earth. He says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And finally, to exalt humanity. Did you ever think about this? An actual son of Adam is in heaven running the world right now. You realize this? Jesus never stopped being a man after he died. He's a resurrected and exalted man, but he's still a what? He's still a man. Paul calls him the man, Jesus Christ. He is a man. You have a son of Adam right now ruling the planet Earth and the world, and the heavens, and the angels. It was not like that before the ascension. You realize Jesus wasn't always having a physical human body. Prior to the incarnation, he was a spirit. I don't get theological. Stay with me. Prior to judge, remember at the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. He was a spirit. Later on it says the word, what? Became flesh. So prior to that, you did not have a man up in heaven ruling the world. Jesus comes down, takes on flesh, is crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, and then exalted as a glorified man. So right now, in Jesus' ascension, he has actually ascended human beings. Think about this. 
Ephesians 2 tells us, verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. What is making a person alive after they're dead? Resurrection. Together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. And what? Look at verse 6. And raised us up with him. And what? Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he ascended to heaven because he wanted to bring you there and exalt you to the right hand of God himself. So right now, Jesus is sitting in the throne. And be careful about the words. It says, heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So right now, Jesus has billions of people in him that are sitting on that throne with him. This is the ultimate exaltation of humanity. And if I didn't see it in the Bible, there's no way I would dare to preach that because that sounds very close to blasphemy, doesn't it? You are going to be at the right hand of God. Really? That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. That in Christ, we are who are in Christ are now exalted that high. That's why the scripture says, for a little while... He has what? Made us lower than the angels. I mean, you see in, the, in your Bible, whenever an angel would show up, what's the first thing they would say? Don't be afraid. Why? Because they're awesome, amazing, terrifying creatures. Well, Jesus has exalted humanity above angels. So when this is all over and we're glorified and we run into an angel, you know what you're going to say? Don't be afraid. I understand. You're a little scared because you deal with all this. Don't be afraid. You're laughing. This is true. It really is. You're going to be exalted above angels because Jesus ascended to heaven. There's other black. He's blessing. I'm going, but I'm going to exalt you guys. Just hope I'll see you again. Don't worry, but I've got to do this. The ascension was necessary. Okay, now. Here's the other thing that the ascension means. The ascension means that we are in the age of the Holy Spirit. The ascension means that we are in the age of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16. I told you, if Jesus left you, it's because he loved you. Now, he didn't leave us alone. He didn't leave us alone. John chapter 16. There is a method to everything that God does. Here's Jesus. It's the upper room discourse. He's about to leave. Listen to what he says. If I can turn to it. Verse 5. Look at it. Verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Remember, notice he says, I am going to him who sent me. What's that? That's not the cross. What is that? That's the God the Father. How is he going to get there? By ascending to heaven. So here he's, he's kind of giving them a clue. I'm leaving. Okay, they didn't get it. But notice it says, sorrow has filled your heart. But because I've said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. Uh, the Greek word, you're better off. You're better off, Chloe, if Jesus isn't there to hug you. I promise. Look, it says, you're better off 
that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteous and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Why did Jesus have to ascend? Why was the ascension necessary? Because if he didn't leave, he couldn't send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is necessary and more advantageous for us than if Jesus himself were on the planet Earth right now. I wonder who believes that. I wonder who believes that. Listen to what the Holy Spirit says. Is, is going to do first. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to, the co are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father had is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You will notice all three persons of the Trinity are here. You have the Son talking about sending the Holy Spirit who gets all his words from the Father. So there are obviously three separate persons. We're not being sticklers about the Bible if we go crazy about the Trinity. We're talking about the nature of God himself. Okay? This is important. It's clear in the Scripture that we have a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now listen. Jesus Christ has to go so that we can inherit the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? One, it is better for us to live with the Holy Spirit than have Jesus on the earth. That's what that means. Now, 95% of you do not believe that. You know those moments when I was a child, a child, and I prayed for God to show up in my room, I am certain that Jesus wanted to show up in my room. Promise you, he wanted to show up in my room and give me a quick hug. And he held himself back. It took all of his omnipotent power to hold himself back, to not show up in my room. He's like, they have to know how to depend on the Spirit. They have to. I can't go. Can't go. Every time that God has answered no to that prayer, it's because he is imploring you Open your Bible and see what I told you about the Holy Spirit. Depend and rely on the Holy Spirit. It killed me to leave y'all. But you have got to figure this thing out, how to walk with him. It's better for you. Now, it's challenging, but it's also exciting, because I still haven't figured that part out. Because... 98% of me, body, soul, and spirit, believes that if I had the chance, I would take Jesus. I'd take Jesus out of the throne and let him hang out in my room and guide me and talk to me and make me feel good and whatever. So I still don't get it, but I'm also excited. Man, that means I can always have this Holy Spirit with me all the time. And I can actually begin to relate to the Holy Spirit as if Jesus Christ himself had materialized in my room. You know, in Romans, you know what the Holy Spirit is called in Romans chapter 8? The Spirit of Christ. It's the Spirit of Christ. So he left us, but he didn't really leave us. See? 
And I think if you would have been the one advantage that the disciples had over us is that they would have tasted the familiarity of the Holy Spirit and Jesus. You know those moments when you feel the Spirit strong on you? And you re- that is Je- you would be, you would feel that is Jesus. They would remember that man, you were very, very, very similar to Jesus. You know what Jesus said? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the what? Father. You know what the Spirit would say to you? He said, if you felt me, you felt Christ. If you've heard me, you've heard Christ. If you walk, you know, it says walk in the Spirit. If you've ever walked with me, you walk with Christ. Amen. This is a crazy mystery you're caught up in the Trinity. They're distinct persons, and yet, if you've met one, you've met the other. <laughs> There's theology in our head, right? But then there's experience in our heart. And we would never have gotten a lesson if Jesus stayed here. This is Jesus kind of chucking us out of the nest. And saying, you're going to sink or swim with the Spirit. Okay? Two, the Holy Spirit will care for us exactly as Jesus would have cared for us if he was physically on earth. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit loves you? Now, you know that Jesus loves you. You know that the Father loves you. I very rarely hear people say the Holy Spirit loves me. He loves you. What is he called by Jesus? He said, I'll send you the what? The helper, the comforter. Okay? Here's the word in the Greek. One who helps by consoling, encouraging, or mediating on behalf of. Helper, encourager, mediator. You want some encouragement? Anybody ever been discouraged? Now, I know you guys, you wonderful people, you're going to take over Lewis, and you've never been discouraged a day in your life. I'm being sarcastic. Do you need comfort? You got deep wounds and pain that nobody knows about, or people that do know about it, but they don't know the depth of it. People don't understand you when you're saying what you're saying. You don't understand yourself. The Holy Spirit knows you. He's there to comfort you, to console you. And I wonder how he feels. He's right there in your room, and you're saying, oh, I just wish Jesus was here. Hello? I'm here. I want you. I love you. I'm here to console and comfort and encourage you. Don't, don't look away from me. The whole age of the church has been handed over to the Holy Spirit. You know, it's almost as if the Trinity is aching to take turns in loving us. The Father's like, Jesus, if you're, if you're going to teach them to pray, tell them first to refer to me as Father. I love them. I want them to know they're approaching me as Father. Okay, Father, okay. The father says to the son, you know what, Jesus, all these people, I'm going to give them to you. You know, John chapter 6, he gives people to the son, all that the father gives to me. And now, the Holy Spirit is getting, the church is getting handed off to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's like, all right, my turn now. My turn for the church. You have, you have your time. He's always praying to you, Father. Okay, you're giving, oh, they're giving to you, Jesus. Now it's my turn to love these guys, comfort these guys, encourage these guys, be close to them, closer than their skin, deeper than their own blood. It's my time now. Here we go as the angel of the Holy Spirit. He has entrusted the church to the Holy Spirit. 
we have got to be in good hands. If Jesus loved you enough to die for you the way that he died for you last week, then the only way he could leave you is if somebody loves you at that level and was going to be faithful at that level. So he has entrusted the church to the Holy Spirit. The ascension means that the Holy Spirit is a reliable, loving helper who can be with all of us. You know when, he's pray when you're praying and he's groaning alongside of you. Doesn't say your groans. He's talking about the groanings of the Holy Spirit right alongside of you as you're praying. You've been entrusted to the Holy Spirit. Here's another crazy fact about the Ascension, which I was like, eh, don't know if I want to say that, because I'm a Calvinist, but I'm going to say it anyway. Kyle, correct me later, Tom. The Ascension means that Jesus trusts the church with the mission. The Ascension means that Jesus trusts the church with the mission. All the Calvinists are like, oh, say Jesus trusted him. Listen, on the one hand, him leaving us in the hands of the Holy Spirit means that he trusts the Holy Spirit. Well, that makes a ton of sense. He's God. Trust us? Jesus in the ascension, what does he say? He says, I'm leaving you guys with the mission. I'm going upstairs, and I'm going to watch you guys rock this world for my glory. I want a front row seat. Because I know you guys are going to be successful. I trust you. You're going to do it. You're going to make it. What in the world? Where is your proof? Where is your proof, Andrew? Jesus trusts us. Well, <clears throat> I keep clicking. 1 Thessalonians 2.4. Look at this. But just as we have been approved by God to be what? Entrusted. What do you see in the word entrusted? Trust. Trust. We've been entrusted with the gospel. Who entrusted us with the gospel? God. He trusts us. You know, entrust means to trust in. That's what that means. I like words. I have the best words. We've been improved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. At the ascension, what does the ascension mean? The ascension means I trust you, Kyle. I trust you. You're going to speak the words of Christ not to please any man, but only God. I trust you. You say, no, I'm weak, blah, blah, blah. That's all. I'll test your heart. You're going, to, you're, going to be, you're going to make it. I trust you. I trust you, church. He's going to test our hearts because we know that there's still junk in our hearts. But that doesn't stop God from entrusting us with the gospel. The ascension means, I mean, look at this project that he's left us with. You know what the project is. Save the world. That's what the project is. Yes, make disciples of all nations means save the world. I trust you. It is a small thing. Small thing. Make a couple sandwiches. Tell people about Jesus. Stand outside. Small thing. And he trusts us with the job. Look at 1 Timothy 1.11. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I what? Have been entrusted. Now look at this. The God, now how does Paul describe the gospel here? The gospel of the what? Glory of God. 
for the good news of the glory of God. I got good news for you, Lewis, and your horrible, nasty sinners. And Jesus died a horrible, nasty death and was buried and rose a glorious resurrection and was exalted to heaven all for his glory. And you are going to be glorified if you repent of your sins and trust Jesus. This is glory all over the place. He's entrusted us with that message. He has put his glory at stake in the mission of the church, and he trusts that we will accomplish the mission. Think about that. God's glory is at stake in the success or the failure of the church, and the ascension means that Jesus is saying, you know what? You guys have this so much, I don't even need to be here. I can watch from upstairs. You guys are going to get it done. Look at this. 2 Timothy 1.14. So this, this can balance you out so that you don't, you don't get too prideful or whatever. By the Holy Spirit. Say, let's say this together. Think about this. One, two, three. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Okay, so this is not like naive triumphalism. We're going to do this in our own power. No, we're going to do it by the Holy Spirit. We're going to do it by the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. We are going to guard this good deposit. What does it mean? This is the gospel. God is saying, I've given you this treasure in your jar of clay. We talked about that. I've given you this treasure. Now guard it. How do you guard the gospel? Well, one... You make sure that nothing corrupts the message of the gospel. <coughs> you know, when something is very expensive, you know what the first thing you do with something that's expensive? You guard it. You know why? Because people always want to steal expensive stuff, okay? The gospel is a very expensive message. And there are enemies who would like to take it from us. Paul is telling Timothy, man, you better guard that thing. So one, you make sure you keep the message pure. I was talking to a Jehovah Witness lady today. You know that they don't even take communion. They take communion once a year. And only they, they believe that only 144,000 people in all of Christianity are, go, are going to be in heaven. Okay? So unless you're, I mean, think about that. There's 8 billion people on the planet Earth right now. So unless... You're one of those people, you don't even get to partake in communion. Because you're not even worthy to partake in communion. So I brought this girl to the, to the passage. And, and when Jesus is instituting communion, Jesus says, this is the blood of the what? New covenant. You know what covenant means? It simply means, I'm your God, you're my people, we're in relationship. I said, don't you realize what these people are doing? They're saying, you're not good enough to be in relationship with God because your good works don't make it. That's not how you get in relationship with God. You know what communion is? Communion is confession that you're so nasty that it took the broken body and shed blood of Jesus to get you in relationship with God. But there's all these new groups or whatever that distort the Bible, distort the message. You've got to guard that thing and make sure that the message stays pure and simple. That we're dead sinners. That there's nothing we can do of our own strength to get right with God, and that God himself came down. Every other religion is you go up to God. Jesus' message is God comes down to you and then brings you up in the ascension. Keep the message 
plain and simple. Tell yourself the gospel every day. Tell yourself the gospel every day. Here's the other thing. Guard the gospel with your life. What do you mean? Like die for the gospel? Then guard it with your life. Live in such a way, Paul says, that adorns the gospel. Live in such a way that communicates that the gospel is real. Now, most of you are legalistic and performance-oriented. So here's, here's the Chloe's cringe. Here's what it means. It doesn't mean you need to have a perfect record at work and don't screw up. Because if you screw up at work, you're not guarding the gospel. Wrong. You're going <laughs> to screw up at work. You know what this means? When you screw up at work, how do you apply the gospel? You go to your friends and say, hey, I was gossiping. I shouldn't have done that. Said, yeah, I snapped at you. Should not have snapped at you. That's not. It's not what should have done. Read the basketball courts last week. Sorry, Easter. And these kids were messing with my with my boys, and we're very hurtful to them. So Dorian, being a man after my own heart, went to one of the kids and challenged him to a fight. Boom. Easter. So heinous. Uh, and, uh, you know, the kid, the kid got the better end of the confrontation, okay? So we're walking home, we're walking to Sal or whatever, and, and uh, Yoko goes, Dad, there's the guy, there he is, there's the assailant. <laughs> I looked at Dory and I said, well, man, um, are you going to go apologize for him? He's like, apologize, what? I said, I said, I mean, it's your decision. I mean, I just don't know if you were necessarily like imaging Christ in that moment by challenging the guy to a fight. He said, he called me a blah, 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 blah. Guys, don't, don't repeat the actual, all right, let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he said, he said, he called me all this, this, and that. I said, I know, but you know, what Christ, I said, did you hear the Good Friday sermon? I, you're supposed to turn me, you weren't imaging Christ. I mean, it's up to you. So I'm walking. Looking back, and he goes, uh, "Come with me." So I go with him, and he and he, and he uh, calls the kid. I call the kid over, and I said, uh, "He wants to talk to you." Jordan goes, "I'm sorry for challenging you to a fight." And the kid's countenance changed immediately. He almost started crying. He looks at Dorian, and he says, "I'm sorry for beating you up." And they shook hands and put their little hands through the fence. That's a cute moment. He's guarding the gospel. Because you know what happened? Those boys are walking. They were walking and uh, they saw Cell 53. And Johan goes, Hey, this is Cell 53. We do church here. See? Guarding the gospel doesn't mean. Okay, now I'm a representative of Christ. I gotta live a perfect life. You can't live a perfect life. Be good around your friends. I'm not saying be horrible about your friends and repent later. Guard the gospel means that the gospel affects your life in such a way that you can apologize to a person who's wronged you because you know that you have wronged God more than anything. 
Not to sit there in a 15-hour debate with you to get you to apologize to somebody for not turning the other cheek. I refer to the Good Friday sermon. That's the cross. That's the gospel. You guard the gospel by preaching the gospel to yourself, and then that dictates your actions in your life. So that one brother can apologize, and the other brother can evangelize. I'm proud of my boys. I felt the pride of Christ. Christ goes, see, I can see that. I knew you could do it. That's why I went up to heaven. I knew you'd have it. I knew you'd listen to the Holy Spirit. Andrew, messed up Father Andrew, you, you, you listened to the Holy Spirit, and I knew Dorian would. We're entrusted with the gospel, guys. So the next couple weeks, we're going to figure out, along with the church, what all this meant. Because you got to understand, when they were experiencing the cross, they had no clue what it meant. They're experiencing the resurrection at the beginning, no clue what it meant. Am I right, Brian? They didn't know? Okay, I'm right. Ascension, no clue. Then the Holy Spirit comes, and then everything starts getting lined up into place. So we're going to experience that along with the church. I'm excited. <laughs> we got a park out there. We're going to shut the park down for the glory of God, shall we? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for leaving. Because we know you wouldn't have left unless it was good for us. I thank you for my boys, God. I thank you that they listened to the Holy Spirit. I thank you for little Abraham. God, I thank you for exalting Christ. He deserves it. After everything he did, God, he deserved to be exalted publicly, God. And we pray that you will show us a replay of that video. God, I pray that we would live in such a way that honors our Christ honors the gospel, honors the fact that you trusted us with the gospel. Thank you for handing us over to the Holy Spirit who loves us as his own soul. God, I pray that you would pour your spirit out over my friends and over me so that I would know that it is better that you're here, Holy Spirit, and that Christ is gone. It's crazy as that is. Thank you for everyone here. And thank you for those you're going to bring in through your spirit this summer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Cell 53, proclaiming the kingdom of God for the sake of the city. For more resources, visit cell53.com.